to the NAW podcast series, Innovate to Dominate, sponsored by Pros. Today's episode is called Overcoming Culture, how a son of a distributor built a world-class web store, and it looks at how truepar.com was created when its next-gen CEO found that traditional distributor practices, culture, and leadership were not compatible with the -the state-of-the-art e-commerce platform or a turbocharged entrepreneurial culture. In today's interview, you will hear from Sean McDonald, founder and CEO of TruePar.com, Mark Dancer, author of NAW's Innovate to Dominate, the 12th edition in the Facing the Forces of Change series, and Richard Blatcher, director of industry marketing and business intelligence at Pros. Sean will describe his journey and inspirations and will offer lessons that distributors must consider as they strive to attract, motivate, and harness next generation leaders and build a culture of innovation. So let's listen as Richard Blatcher begins the conversation in Overcoming Culture. So hi, everyone. I'm delighted to be here with Mark Dancer again Mm -hmm. as the ongoing podcast series that we are working with around the 12th edition of the Facing the Forces of Change, the Innovate to Dominate book and research that Mark has authored. And this is part of the ongoing series and initiative that Pros is very proud to be doing with the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. So we're very excited to have Sean McDonald here from TruePar.com. So Sean, maybe you could just introduce yourself and tell folks a little bit about you. And most importantly, tell us about TruePar.com. Because there's a lot going on, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of questions <laughs> for you. So. Um, yeah, so so I'm Sean McDonald. Uh, you know, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Grew up in the um, industrial equipment space, and my father. So my father's like been an industrial equipment dealer for for my whole life, and and um, after barely graduating high school, I I moved to Colorado to be a ski bum. And so, so I moved to Colorado and, and, uh, you know, do the ski bum thing for a while, 12 bucks an hour. And, and then I'm like, okay, so I got to figure out how to like afford this town, like ski towns in Colorado are not cheap. Um, and so I learned how to do marketing. I got like an SEO book and social media marketing was starting to become popular. Um, so I work for some local companies and, and then I start working with my dad's company, you know, helping him rank on Google for, you know, uh, a quit, uh, forklifts, Pittsburgh or kind of local searches. And, and it's way easier to rank for this kind of B2B industrial space. And I said, Hmm, there could be an opportunity here. Mm. Whereas like Aspen real estate agent, like I couldn't even get on the fifth page of Google, mm. but, but very easily was able to get, uh, words in the industrial space higher up on Google quickly. And so I said to my dad, you know, I think we could sell these parts online. I think there's a huge opportunity. And he said, you know, Sean, it'll never work. People buy from people. And I said, okay, well, you know, I, I think it's going to. And, and I also had, you know, a development team at the time that was working with other customers. And so I kind of nights and weekends started developing this thing. And, and um, you know, I, I have to give credit to him and, and to kind of like, uh, just the family connections from growing up uh, and because we would go on on family vacations with some of the major wholesale distributors mm-hmm. in the space in the aftermarket so we sell aftermarket mm-hmm. you know forklift aerial lift sweeper scrubber parts we've we've kind of expanded it we're, we're 
getting into some janitorial supplies, shop supplies, safety and accessories, safety and accessories, but really sticking in the B2B space. Um, and, you know, so, so I, I'm going after this vision. I'm like, I'm just going to list the products online and, and like, hopefully these vendors will sell to me, you know, hope, I mean, maybe there's a market there, maybe there's not. And, and we launched it and, you know, we started getting traffic and we started getting calls and, and we tried to do it internally. We try, so I tried to like kind of hand that side off to my dad a little bit, like, you know, all right, so your internal inside sales will take the calls, accounting will help with that. And, and what I really found was that um, it was fundamentally a different business. Um, they weren't, I was getting different customers at first, the smaller operations that my dad's company wasn't really built to handle efficiently. Um, and furthermore, it was turning online e-commerce self-service customers into call us, we'll make you a deal customers. And I didn't see that as scalable. Um, and, you know, through that and other things, uh, I was pushing really hard in his organization and, and especially like, and, and the, one of the main things that I don't talk about too much, um, so this is exclusive content is, is I Thank think you. that if I would have been in, if I, I think that if I would have been in Pittsburgh at this time, it would have, we would have had a better chance of doing this together, mm. but the one fundamental thing that 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 he was not able to get on board with was the fact that I was in Colorado and planned on staying mm. out west, and mm. so I was going to do everything remotely. If I was going to build a team, you know, it was going to be remotely, and you know, his headquarters is in Pittsburgh. All of his people are in Pittsburgh, and you know, they're all kind of under one roof. And so, whenever it came to that remote capabilities, it just was like a big disconnect. Um, and so I was pushing hard in his organization. And, and so essentially we decided, I really saw the opportunity. We started to grow and we kind of decided we're different business models. And so I, I split up from him and then started onboarding more vendors. And, you know, and that was five years ago, you know, I mean, it, 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 it um, we've continued to grow uh, customer base revenue. Um, and, and now our kind of future vision is to continue to add more product lines, add more vendors, you know, and, and continue to serve the customers we have and also grow the customer base. And the numbers are, um, are pretty dramatic. I mean, 600 brands. Yeah. You want to, you've got 8 million SKUs. 8 you million SKUs. to 10 to 12 yeah. and 45,000 yeah. customers. You yeah. 45,000 customers. Yeah. Right. So, Eight million SKUs. We started with like uh, two million SKUs, mm -hmm. and it was on a um, it was on a kind of more B two C e commerce platform that wasn't. Really, it was built like if you want to like make jewelry and sell it like from yeah. your house or something, you know. And and because I mean that's all that I could afford. I was I yeah. was kind of funding the thing, and and it was really a test. And and but I knew that we had we had a catalog that was much bigger and I knew that the more products I put online the more traffic we got the more sales we did mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah I expanded like continued to expand and I went to a more robust e-commerce platform um, the guys who founded Magento uh, ended up founding a um, b2b e-commerce platform mm -hmm. uh, called Oro commerce and and they really had a similar vision mm -hmm. and kind of roadmap for what the future looked like. And one of the things I found fascinating when you, you know, when we've spoken and when you've talked, and 
the differentiation of truthart.com mm. is you're always putting the customer experience at the heart of everything you do. And people still buy from people, mm -hmm. but people increasingly buy online. People increasingly buy digitally and research digitally. Mm. So it's not an and or an or, right? right? It's, it's an as well, because um, we interviewed um, John Kaplan, who runs Alibaba mm. in North America, and they did research. And mm -hmm. again, talking to thousands of buyers, you know, of those 45,000 mm. customers mm -hmm. saying that, yes, we need to buy online, we need to buy by email, and we still... So all of these different channels play a part. Mm. But maybe you could talk, Sean, about this kind of... this this core that you have of the it's all about the customer experience mm -hmm. that you, you constantly mention that well i mean I, I think that that it really is well you know i kind of saw it as like working with my dad's company you know it i think he wanted me to build the system based on the internal business processes the legacy business processes um in order to fit his business. Mm -hmm. And what I found as I meet with more B2B companies is that typically is the strategy. You know, we can't show pricing, we are gonna show pricing, you know, all of these conversations that, um, you know, is that best for the customer? Like, is that, like constantly coming back to, is that best for the customer? And I mean, to be honest, a lot of people don't really know unless you ask them. Mm -hmm. And unless you really put it out there, try things, you know, and iterate on that. But whenever you're building something to look like your current business, it, it's a different business. And, and, and that's really how it had to start was, was kind of rethinking, getting a blank slate and rethinking what is best for the customer, asking the customer, you know, well, but it, of course it goes to the whole Henry Ford thing. You know, if you, if you ask people what they wanted, they'd just say a faster horse, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's that sometimes they don't know. So it's, it's the data aspect as well and kind of trying things and also watching, you know, what, what ha is working in other spaces. Mm. You know, I get a lot of my inspiration from the B2C space, but also understanding the B2B complexities and kind of the, the needs of B2B buyers. Um, so it's kind of that marriage of, there is still a lot of the the uh, like B two C customer experience, self service, but then also having to be the hybrid of having more experienced customer support and like really the customer enablement. Because because whereas like I don't have order takers, I have like people internally that will show my customers how to do it the first time, walk them through it, so that teach them how to fish. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know. And that, that line between B2C and B2B is definitely blurring. Mm -hmm. And you didn't really approach this from a, okay, this is an online catalog either, did you? I mean, this was a whole... Yeah. Uh, if I, you'd done that, <laughs> frankly, you know, you've said publicly that probably wouldn't have worked, right? So right. That, how did you approach it? Um, you know, I, I think that it's, once again, I, I wish I could say, like, I, I just saw it, you know, so clear early on. I mean, I, I approached in a very B2C way. Mm. So I didn't believe in quoting. I didn't believe in, you know, the price is the price. Um, I didn't, I didn't necessarily put enough weight in, um, the tr transparency of price and availability, you know, and, and kind of some of the more, 
um, uh, technical spec specifications about like, is this a hazardous item? Like, can, is it an LTL freight item? You know, these are just things that, that I think that the B2C doesn't have to focus on as much, mm -hmm. but they're, they're things that are critically important, especially if you're selling aftermarket parts, um, replacement parts, mm -hmm. because if someone's piece of equipment is down, like that's their mo they needed the, that part yesterday. Yeah. You know, and, and so whereas I think a lot of people will compete on the price level, you know, I really have, have tried to differentiate myself by like competing on the full transparency level, you know, if it's not in stock, I'm not going to pretend like it is in stock. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to say, give us a call and we'll, you know, figure something out. Like if it's not in stock, I can't do anything about that. Like this is going to be the time frame. If someone else has in stock, we suggest to buy it off of them. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we aren't going to, I mean, we want, we want what's best for the customer every time, not just whenever it suits us. And obviously we try to keep getting better and better to like have it suit us as well, mm -hmm. you know, is, is, is to have everyone win. Mm -hmm. And so, so really I've tried to approach things from a, and customer experience, um, you know, is end to end. So it's not just putting an online catalog up. It's, it's about, you know, having the online chat, having, having your phone system, like communicate with your CRM system. So you have a 360 view of who the customer is when they're calling, what orders, et cetera. Um, I'm not like, this isn't so innovative, any of this. It's just kind of understanding how to piece the things together. And then whenever it comes to marketing campaigns or whenever it even comes to post-purchase, you know, if an item like it's going to take longer. We let them know, like mm -hmm. we automate that. So we're able to like send them an email, letting them know when it's shipped, we, we get them tracking. I mean, if you go to Amazon, I'm not saying anything that, that, that they aren't doing. It's just, I feel like for some reason, um, it's been lost mm -hmm. in the, in, in a lot of the B2B space where it's like, you know, it's just customers want full visibility into their experience all the way through. Is your business now still SEO driven? So it, it's a customer who goes online to search and they end up on your site or do they now go to your site because they've been there and they like the experience? So it's, so it's, uh, so I was talking to some, I was looking at raising capital for a while and then we all also talked to a company and they were trying to acquire us. And one of the big questions was like repeat customers, you know, mm -hmm. how much of that is repeat business because B2B is a lot of repeat business. Right. And, you know, at that time, which was a few years ago, it was a lot less. It was like only about 10 to 15%, you know, were continuing to come back, which was great. I mean, I was getting a ton of new customers, but I, I hadn't, you know, whether it was price or, you know, availability or selection, um, which are like Amazon's three pillars. Mm -hmm. um, like I, I hadn't done something com as well as I could have in order to keep them. And um, in the last year, I really started like getting the data on, on, on an everyday basis, quarterly, monthly, you know, how many repeat. And we're up to about 50 to 60% repeat customers mm -hmm. while continuing to add new customers every day. It's an interesting topic because I think there's a growing realization that distributors need to rethink how they define loyalty and how they measure it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they measure loyalty as the metrics or repeat purchases, mm -hmm. or do you give me a little bit extra margin for the value I provide? Yeah. Which is, they've always done that. Yeah. And so 
I, I don't know, are those the right metrics for measuring loyalty? And even if they are the right metrics, distribution needs to figure out for all of their business, not just their online side, what is it that they do to create loyalty, mm -hmm. which has to be different some way than it was you know, 20 years ago. So that's, it's an interesting question I was actually talking about the other night. Um, one of the things that, you know, and, and I understand that um, pros, you know, really has a lot to offer as far as like pricing and kind of pricing optimization and real time algorithms and whatnot. And, and so I, I developed a lot of that, um, internally, like the, the team at Oro helped me like, cause I don't have an ERP system. So literally if, if you go to a product page on my site, it is all being, it's calling my suppliers, getting my cost getting my availability and then repricing it in real time based on a, a number of different rules right there while you're shopping. Yeah. Right there while you're shopping. Um, and, and so obviously that takes some, some heavy duty lifting. Uh, but the next phase and what I'm working on currently, um, you know, and, and once again, I'm not making this up, but I feel like I don't know why people do it. One, one question I always had to my dad's company is like, so if we actually look at the data, okay, you say this customer gets this tier of pricing because they're a good customer. And I said, what does that actually mean? Absolutely. Because if you look at the like recent years of data, they once were a good customer. You may have a good relationship with them. You may like them. But at the end of the day, they are buying off you now like they were before, but they're still priced the same. Okay, so my theory is like, if you're in an airline program, um, you build loyalty, but mm -hmm. you have to continue to purchasing. Build, you have to continue right. purchasing, and they actually look at how like recency of purchase. This stuff expires, right? You know, and you need to continue to fly with the airline in order to build that loyalty, build the miles, build the status, or you lose the status. Mm -hmm. And I believe it could be the same way in B two B. So. I believe as long as we are transparent and and like expose all of this to the customers, you know, whether it's a whether it's a quarterly, right. semi-annually, annually basis saying here are here's your benchmark in order to maintain this pricing that you're getting, you need to continue to hit right. this benchmark and all the way down to like you have five days to hit this benchmark or your pricing is going to roll back to tier two. I think transparency is really interesting. When I started working with uh, distributors 20 years ago, yeah. I would, in a lot of the work I was doing when I was talking to customers, they would tell me they gave their loyalty to a distributor mm -hmm. and they gave them their purchases and they thought they were getting fair service and a fair price. Right. And then sometimes they would do a little bit of by design shopping elsewhere to see what price they were going mm -hmm. to get. Yeah. And if they found out that they, another option, another distributor, this is before the internet, mm -hmm was giving them you know, a better price and they weren't getting that from the distributor to whom they give their loyalty, mm -hmm. all heck broke loose, Yeah, right? That was such a down driver of, uh, that's a bad way to say it, but it really impacted their perception of that distributor and took a while to recover. Right? Hence so the, the flea market. Right. So then they go to that distributor and say, like, let these guys have this price and this whole price matching thing, which really kind of, continues to drive down the actual value of the of the market in general right and you know so i think 
transparency is key. Amazon is not always the cheapest option, but well, they provide customers more know that. value. Yes. Like value Sorry. beyond that. Mm -hmm. Price selection and availability. These are the three pillars. And Amazon yeah. optimizes the price for that particular person at that particular moment with those particular exactly. circumstances. And, and in that particular region or wherever. You know, it's, I mean, it's, this is... And I think customers either know that because they read and they see it or, or some vendors tell them that mm. or so the... You're building, tell me if this is the way you think about mm -hmm. it, you're building your relationship with them from scratch, making promises, mm -hmm. and you have to hold those promises, mm -hmm. and the transparency is how you continually kind of prove that to them, that you're holding your promise. And, and I mean, the transparency is also saying, there are some things I'm going to try that I can't make a promise on, but like I want to try to be better for you. Excellent. And so as long as you're open to being a part of that group that wants to try this, yeah. I can't promise it's always gonna stay that way because it may not work out for either side. And these are businesses, so their view of trust is different than a consumer. Yeah. Right? They like commitment. Yep. Be honest with me. Right. Tell me before the bad news, tell me bad news before it's it's it happens. Those kind of, those kind of values have been there forever. Right. And it's really interesting to hear that they show up again because they're kind of the fundamentals in their relationship with you online. Absolutely. And that's these are things that I've kind of had to learn the hard way because I really want to approach this from a more B2C approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I've I've learned the hard way on some of the like I said, I didn't want to do quotes. Mm -hmm. So but then I understood that quotes aren't just about price. Mm -hmm. They're about an, a whole approval process internally at your organization. Yeah. So yeah. You need to get a quote as a buyer to show your, you know, yeah. approver who's going to say, yes, you can, per you need to get five quotes. And if we aren't providing quotes, we're going to lose that deal automatically. Mm -hmm. So we built in a, you know, request for quote, quote, quote to order all digital online. Yeah. So, you know, you, it's a self-service process and you can request quotes from us and then receive the quote on the on the, the admin side of the website. Mm -hmm. And then also once you receive the quote and your boss says it's okay, you can approve an order and order it all through the through the website. So so these are things that that um you know kind of shifts. So people say that B2B is going to be exactly like B2C. And you know in some ways the customer experience customers do expect a certain experience. But in other ways that's a far, there's a gap. They're businesses. Yeah, they're businesses. They're buying as a business. Right. So there's different kind of needs, values. These aren't, especially in replacement parts space, these aren't wants. Yeah. You know, you don't, like, maybe I'll get that alternator for my broken forklift that's loading the trucks. You know, like, you kind of need it. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it, this isn't a maybe I'll get the, the PlayStation 2 on, you know, <laughs> like, have your have the manufacturers of the products that you sell mm. have they approached you and tried to sign you up to authorize you to put you into their programs and do you like that if they have done that um kind of the uh, the big ones haven't uh because i don't play by the rules right. of 
territory and they have dealer programs and mm -hmm. you know this is your region and all this stuff and i just think that that's that's why i'm asking yeah and i think that manufacturers you know 15 20 years ago they they define their programs to really to push inventory onto the distrib into the distributor's warehouse mm. because once it was there the distributor would sell it yeah Right. And that was a way for them to create some certainty in their sales and take some risk out of it. Right. But that's not your model. No. So a creative manufacturer who wanted to bring you into their orbit. Yeah. They would say, what can I provide to you that reinforces the way you do business mm. and have a different sort of program? Maybe they reward you for your AI capability. Right. Or right. you create loyalty on some sort of new metric. Mm. But you haven't had that. Call. I think manufacturers are behind the ball on when it's uh, the whole thing is manufacturers also aren't built to I mean because because I am drop shipping my products mm -hmm. so I have it you have to be a logistics focused distributor in order to 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 work with me and you also have to have enough tech capabilities at least internally so that I can integrate in with your systems because I'm, I need to know if it's in stock or not. I right. need to know like what my current price is because my customers expect that transparency. So it, I really have a pretty strict selection process mm -hmm. whenever it comes to like working with new wholesale mm -hmm. distributors. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, I, I have like added more on, but it, but it's, it's not as much like a, we're open for all whole, like at this point, you know, we don't have the capabilities for anyone right. to list their stuff. And I mean, even Amazon struggles with that. Now they've created programs where they've, um, you know, they reward or discipline their their third party marketplace sellers when the stock isn't right or whenever they don't like they, they get taken off the listing or put down further in the listing and then also reviews. So that's kind of the direction we're going. Mm -hmm. But you know, we don't have, I mean, just because of how the space exists mm -hmm. and who, and it's consolidated at the top, I don't think there will be thousands and thousands of, of, you know, third party, mm -hmm. you know, people that will be selling through mm -hmm. truepar.com. It's going to be more like, you know, hopefully hundreds and hundreds, you so, know, so primarily a, um, uh, a online interface with your customer, a digital interface, mm. a virtual interface, but you also have phone support. Mm -hmm. Do you find that um, as you grow your business and you're going new directions, are there things you're doing on the phone with your customers, not necessarily as a backup, mm -hmm. you know, to the online, but you're you're doing innovative things and new things with them, or just B two B things with them that need to be done because it's a human interaction. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the data. It's just quality human. The, the digital interaction It's just a quality human interaction that has to happen. Yes. Um, I mean, how I, I think about every, so one of my biggest focuses over the years has been, um, you know, reviewing these phone calls and finding patterns and doing whatever I can to build self-service capabilities mm -hmm. in order to solve these problems. So if there's problems that if, if you hear about something enough and someone's calling, you know, over and over again that for, for something that, that we have solved mm -hmm. digitally, you know, I, 
I then realized like I need to train my team to train the customer on how to fish mm -hmm. because there are things like a big change that we made and it was actually a, a really scary thing is in our new e-commerce platform, we used to take about 20% phone orders. Even though the customers could place it online, they just weren't trying to place it online and 20% of our orders. So in 2018, 20% of our orders, 2018 and before, 20% of our orders were, um, were over the phone. All of 2019, you know, on the new system, you can't place orders over the phone. It can only be done online. And so we had to go from placing orders for customers on the phone to walking them through the process and helping them through placing orders. Um, and we grew 40% in 2019. Mm. So it, I mean, it was, there was a lot of fear. Are we going to give up that 20%? Are they not going to be willing to, to, to buy themselves? Right. And what I found is that, you know, we, as we enable, it's always going to, you're going to have the 80, 20 principle. Right. You're, you're going to always have customers that won't buy off of you mm -hmm. if you can't do it over the phone. Mm -hmm. And to, to them, I say like, like hopefully at some point you come around, but like, we have plenty of competitors that are willing to take phone mm -hmm. orders for you. Mm -hmm. you know, like we, we're just not built to do that. What, what do you think is the driver of they still want to talk to a human being? I mean, is it a training, an experience, a lack of knowledge of... Is or it, is it their intrinsic value there yeah. that they just want? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question. Yeah, That's why I asked it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that I've been trying to figure that out. Um, uh, I think it's sort of, I, I encourage you to figure it out because I think in the research I did for Innovate to Dominate, yeah. distributors have really heard the siren call of being online. They may not do it right, yeah. but they know they have to be there. Mm -hmm. And they've totally forgotten and don't defend and don't innovate around their core business, which is being local and being human. Right. And just like a mall may have mm. lost half its shops, mm. the shops that do excite in the retail world, the shops that exist, there's a saying in retail that retail isn't going out of business, boring retail is going mm. out of business. Yeah. And I think there's something around, it's still B2B, there's something around human interaction that can be innovative and new, and not enough people are looking for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that it goes from order placers to solution providers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that looks like. Um, I think that, that, you know, really kind of specializing in it is what is, what is the, cause sometimes it's just a confidence thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just a, we want to know you, someone's going to pick up the phone when something wrong happens right after the fact like before we buy off of you we want to talk to someone you know and a lot of times that's the case some businesses are doing a lot of training around emotional intelligence uh -huh. which is how to have empathy but in a business situation yep uh listening skills yep uh which is you know distributors hired people local people yeah so they connected because they were like their customers right right but the idea around giving them extra skills and capabilities, there could be some analytics and you know some technology enablement of mm -hmm. it. But the idea of upping your game in terms of your emotional empathy, your ability to listen, 
your ability to help them solve problems with higher level skills yep. is something that's emerging. And it's definitely been a big focus of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent a lot of time and, and um, resources on like not only industry training for my team, but also um, really the, the like putting themselves, cause we don't work in a warehouse. Yeah. We don't yeah. work in, in the, the environments that our customers are calling from. We don't have those situations come up. Like when the website's down is like the most comparison to like the panic that is happening like when my customer's equipment is down. You know, or whenever we're having a tech, whenever we're having like cloud phone issues or something from a technology standpoint is, is, is breaking down on us. Middle of, you know, Tuesday at two o'clock, whenever, things start pouring in. Um, that's like the closest thing for, for us that that is comparable to like your equipment going down on a job site or mm-hmm. in a warehouse. Um, and, and so it's really like having to reframe and, and having my team understand, you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that these, that we are like solving an actual problem for these people. And, and, and so like, to understand that sometimes their kind of panic or their, um, you know, attitude in it, whatever, whatever case, it's not personal, mm-hmm. you know, it might be personal, but I mean, most of the time it's not right. You know, other things are going, going on that, that, um, you know, we have to be empathetic of and, and kind of walk through it with them. So very interesting yeah but the key is understanding the customer needs correct so you listen you then tailor or personalize and then you offer that experience and allow them to engage with you yeah and it's something that it's a lot easier to do whenever i'm you know as i grow Mm -hmm. like i think and this is with a lot of companies as you grow the leadership Mm -hmm. gets further from the customer's day-to-day needs. And so really like I'll get on customer service calls. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get on chat. I'll be a part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to continue to stay connected to the customers. And, and I, I don't ever plan on changing that. The other thing that's interesting is that you're, because of your business model and you don't have a warehouse with inventory Mm -hmm. in it, you sell to the same customers that many distributors sell to, but your mindset is completely different than that. And one example of that would be, we just listened to a, uh, an economic forecast, right? Yeah. And distributors listen intensely to that mm-hmm. because in good times, they buy a lot of inventory. And when they see the downside coming, they want to manage their inventory before it hits. Yeah. And that, so there's good financial planning around that, but that also tethers them to I'm an inventory-based business. Yeah, you're you're not that. You're totally focused on the customer needs, the front end of the business, because you don't have the back end to think about. Is that yet? Yeah. That's fair, but yeah. I mean, Amazon started with books, and they didn't stock a thing. Yeah, so you might at some point get there. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's 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 possible if it's what's best for the customer. Mm-hmm. If if you know my suppliers can't continue to perform like they have or they don't want to for some reason whatever yeah you know i I, i'm gonna do what's best for the customer even if it means like setting up 
the traditional mm-hmm. you know warehouse operations and and kind of yeah. going that route because you've talked about adding SKUs and mm-hmm. parts and products and brands and going in new directions. Yeah. Do you think of that as um, you have to stick distribution calls up their line of trade, mm-hmm. you know, plumbing, electrical, you operate in a line of trade. Is that, does that an incumbent or encumbrance for you or does that not matter so much? That makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't discriminate like on, yeah. on, on, la- I mean, uh, of course I'm going to like add, add skews and add, add, um, product lines that make sense. But what I have found is if you build it, you're going to be very surprised as to the wide range of customers you'll get because you aren't building it around a certain customer base. Yeah. I deal with the U.S. government a lot. I sell to Fortune 100 companies a lot. You know, I deal with small food operations with, you know, a grocery store with one hand truck or, or forklift, you know. I deal with uh, plastics manufacturers, um, oil and gas, like you name it. And you'd be, it's constantly a shock, especially whenever I talk about this with my dad, as to some of the customers that, that end up buying off of us. And so I think that, that um, you know, I'm open. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think they've continued down the B2B path because I've, I think I've found uh, we've we've learned a lot and 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 so there's an opportunity to continue to learn and grow and grow on that. Um, but I, I've talked to a number of different companies about adding different SKUs mm-hmm. of of kind of ancillary industries. You know, it's excellent. Yeah, there's the the there's a lot of opportunity, and as long as you build out the customer experience properly, you can drive whatever customer down like into an area of your site that is really tailored to them and so i think that that opens it up to to have a lot of options doesn't matter what industry excellent thank you more questions well you've talked a lot about how important the data is right Uh so i think one of the central themes for me has been you constantly talk about how important the customer needs are, the mm. customer experiences, and the data. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about how data-centric your business is because it's it's the data that's driving these decisions, right? It's the data. I mean, Amazon tracked, what, 450 different data points about their customers, right? Yeah, So that's just it, about their customers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so having that knowledge... Or, or that data is one thing, but you talk about you know, using it into an actionable insight into then offering something different. Or yeah. Cut. So t- talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think that that I would love to say that I get a lot of inspiration, if you can't tell, from from a lot of things that Jeff Bezos and Amazon have done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all the way down to there's another, uh, there's a great book written by the guy who who was tasked and was the kind of guy who started the third party marketplace. His name's John Rossman. And I got the opportunity to meet him and speak um, at, a, at the same conference that he, he did. And it's called the Amazon way. Mm. And so it really goes to the leadership principles and how they make decisions and how they um, kind of fund new programs. 
And one of the one of the things that they do whenever they come up with a new initiative is you have to like set whatever data point, whatever metric, whatever KPI you're going to track this on to show success or failure. And so I've, I mean, I think there's always room for improvement, but you know, I've, I've really invested a lot into, for one, opening up all of my systems on the back end so that whether it's my calling system, how long does it take to answer the call? You know, how many missed calls, how many calls go to voicemail? Like, so from the calling perspective, that's one thing, but then whenever it comes to how long does it take to respond to emails? Like, how long does it take to respond to quotes? How long, I mean, all the way down to, I even track metric, metrics about my suppliers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how long is it taking them? Are they meeting SLAs that we've agreed to? Um, you know, so these are all things that all affect the customer experience and and anything. So whereas I think uh, a lot of people are, are really focused on the financial data points, mm-hmm. um, you know, in my dad's business, he can tell you all of financial data points. And, you know, I can, too, but I'm really foc- focused on, um, you know, some of those kind of more the grayer data points that 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 affect how page load time on the website you know it's just kind of getting everything down in time or mm-hmm. not getting everything down in time but like optimizing you know those those data points um, but then also it's it's a slippery slope because you really want to um, like as a as a CEO you know I I, I I need to pick a few that matter the most, but I really do have, I have, uh, am sometimes inundated with, mm-hmm. with the amount of different dashboards and stuff. Right. And I geek out on that. Like you'll find me on a Saturday afternoon, like, you know, coming up with a new dashboard of, of, you know, <laughs> this is important. And like, I want to look at this and I may never look at it again, but I think it's the act of getting there. Mm. A lot of times it's the act of, of, understanding i mean sometimes it's just not a good metric mm-hmm. like that actually produces results but it's just the act of understanding the process of getting to these metrics and and what they lo- the impact or non-impact that they have and was data and analytics was that in was that you before you launched this business i mean did you have that you know i, I like data i'm facile with it or did you kind of like come to love it because you love your business and data is a big part of it. I got my first computer six months before I started my marketing company. Wow. My little brother was the computer geek. I had no interest. I was like, cool. I had parties in high school and like, you know, got like dated a lot of girls and like kind of was the cool kid. I was not a nerd. And like, like my dad once saw like he told me recently, he was like, Sean, you're a geek. And I was like, I was like, Dad, like, no. I was, what have I become? Yeah, I was like, I was like, Dad, I was like pretty cool, all right, and yeah. and and I was like, like that's like Point Dexter, like you know, pocket thing, you know, the whole thing. I was like, that's not me. And he said, No, Sean, that's a nerd. Geeks are cool now. <laughs> I like, okay, I guess I'll take that. But yeah, so so to answer your question, um, data and analytics weren't really yeah. a part of my, yeah, <laughs> you know, I. This is all kind of, I, I mean, all self-taught. I, I don't, Yeah. all of this stuff is really, um, 
which is interesting because I'm constantly curious. Yes. Constantly learning and curious and reading new books and listening to podcasts. And sometimes I get a little too bleeding edge and want the kind of newest, coolest microservices, you know, AI, blockchain, all of the trendy words. And some people have to reel me back in and say, like, <laughs> eh, just just relax. Um, I mean, it's you, a really you've been forced into that by, you know, gaining those insights. Yeah. Right? And you can't make right. a decision based on gut feeling instantly. It's based on the data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very true. And interesting how you talk about you've leveraged so many, so so many tools and technology to to help you to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Really, it's something I want to think about because it's really interesting. A lot of distributors and manufacturers are thinking about, you know, their AI and their business is going to run on data, and so yeah. they're, they're saying, "Who should I hire?" Mm. Right. But I think that curiosity and people that uh, are committed to you know, really want to make the business better, will pull them into data, right? So you're going to have blend. You're going to have people that love data and always have mm. and people that kind of get into it. Yeah. I don't know where that's going exactly, but there's something, there's some good insight there about building a data-driven organization. Yeah, and data-driven culture. Yeah. You know, it, it really, you can, EOS, I started like going down the EOS entrepreneur operating system framework and mm -hmm data is a big piece of that, mm -hmm. you know, and picking the numbers for each person and, and kind of continuing to stay on top of that and beating the drum and, and, yeah. and, and setting, you know, 90 day, like, like setting the rocks and the, the longer goals and kind of, so it's definitely like the path that, that we're going yeah. because I, I mean, there are times where I find myself in projects and six months disappear. You know, and and it's like, what happened? Like I come out of the hole, and, yeah. And and you know, it's like it's like it's done, but uh, that has, six months has to feel like a lifetime. Yeah, to you. it does. It does. So you know, I, I definitely two whole quarters. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It's it's it is a lifetime. So yeah, it's definitely something that I'm trying to kind of build into everyone's mindset. Yeah. To really kind of follow the numbers and and. And work off the data and and um, you know, uh, like also promote and mm -hmm. hire and fire and mm -hmm. you know, kind of these things really based on the data. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Sean, thank you so much thank for you. your insights and your time. And we need to do a whole other podcast about <laughs> the definition of a geek and a nerd. <laughs> I need to know which one I am. I'm probably both, unfortunately. So and I'm something else. We, we've got to investigate this. This is a whole, this is a whole new thing. Um, and um, look, thank you so much. And we will obviously, of course, post your contact details mm. so people want to get in touch. And of course, you know, yeah. when there are those business business problems, yeah. truepar.com. Yeah, truepar.com. I'm sure you guys have forklifts and all <laughs> kinds of things that we sell. Please. Everybody's got a material <laughs> handy problem, right? Pros may not be uh, be trying to sell their stuff, but I am trying to sell my stuff. <laughs> I think my son, he has he has uh, uh, two cars and a Jeep yeah. and a motorcycle. Yeah. And I think he's looking for some material handling yeah, equipment. Yeah, exactly. So Perfect. I'll tell him about your son. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Sure, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me as well. Thank Excellent. Yeah. I learned a lot. Thanks, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the NAW podcast series, Innovate to Dominate, sponsored by Pros, with Richard Blatcher from Pros, Mark Dancer, an NAW Institute for Distribution Excellence Fellow, and today's very special guest, Sean McDonnell of TruePar.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to visit naw.org i2d or pros.com naw, where you can subscribe to our podcast series, enter to win your very own copy of NAW's book, Innovate to Dominate, and even view webinars from NAW and Pros. See you next time.